K-A-L-W. This is TBH. I'm Samuel Getacho. This podcast is made by, about, and for teenagers, and for anybody else who wants to hear what's on our minds. Thoughts are power. Words are power. James Baldwin said that the root function of language is to control the universe by describing it. And this holds especially true at a time when fake news and inflammatory rhetoric spewed by politicians has such control over our national narrative. It's crucial for us to pay attention to the stories we consume, the voices we listen to, and the language we allow to describe and thus control our universe. Today we're going to talk about discrimination, specifically when it comes to speech and voice. As part of this podcast, we spoke with over 100 San Francisco high school students, and we asked them to share stories about how they influence and are influenced by the media. We edited their thoughts and brought them together thematically. So let's listen to a few right now. My name is Lucas Dong, and I'm an 11th grader at Lincoln High School. When I was younger, I didn't value the news very much. The cartoons on TV were much more important to me than some old man blabbering about current events. As my mom drove me to school, she would turn on the radio to listen to the public radio, and I would never pay attention, staring out the window or finding something else to distract me. When they turned on the evening news every night, they tried to get me involved and interested, though I ignored them. A few years ago, however, things started to change. I understood more of what the headlines were about, and I connected the local events to my life. I remember learning about the diversity and content that the news could have. I went from hearing about shocking events like the Sandy Hook shooting to reading articles that aligned more with my personal interests. I came to appreciate the news and how it keeps me updated, and I still appreciate it to this day. My name is Marco. I am a sophomore at Galileo Academy. Ever since I was very young, I liked watching American TV shows and movies. But one thing that's bothering me at the time was there was not enough Chinese actors. And when there was, I was very excited because I get to almost see myself in TV and movies. I would like to see more Chinese actors used in a positive way instead of a negative way. So my name is Marabo Bipsa. I'm in 10th grade and I attend Galileo High School. Over the years of my life, since I was a child, I've realized there aren't any hijabi women on American TV or movies. There would usually be Arab people and they would be portrayed in a bad way. Usually it would be a racist implication towards the person. We have a hijabi congresswoman in office and we still can't promote hijabi women on TV. There needs to be more hijabi women on American TV and movies so many hijabi women around the world could feel empowered. Like all other systems of oppression, sexism presents itself in almost every facet of our lives. For example, this year is an election year, and when it comes to running for office, women are subject to certain kinds of disrespect that men are not. And as we saw demonstrated all too well in 2016, male politicians often reinforce and exacerbate these double standards. And these double standards are far from exclusive to presidential races. They're part of a pattern that begins as early as high school. We're going to hear about that from Hannah Nee. She's a high school senior in San Jose. During the 2016 election, my friends and I were super excited. Hillary Clinton was the first woman to have a real shot at winning the U.S. presidency. We could finally have someone who looked like us in the most powerful position in the country. But as I watched how some media outlets covered the presidential race, I noticed Hillary Clinton was treated much differently than our male opponents. 
Pundits like Bob Woodward criticized the way she dressed and spoke on Morning Joe. She shouts. There is something unrelaxed about the way she is communicating. During a town hall event, former New Jersey mayor and presidential candidate Chris Christie made a derogatory and disgusting remark about Clinton. I'll beat her rear end on that stage, and you know what? After I do, she'll be relieved because she'll just be worried I was going to serve her with a subpoena. The way Clinton was treated felt all too familiar to me because I'm on a debate team at an all-girls school. In this clip, I'm debating at a tournament about whether antitrust regulations should be enforced on big tech. That the only reason investors invest is because there is a potential lucrative buyout from big tech at the end of the day. That's important because... My teammates and I have been called out for wearing pants instead of skirts. We've been called out for being too aggressive. And we've been called demeaning names like sweetheart or bitch by male debaters and judges. When I joined debate freshman year, I didn't know this stuff was going to happen. I just knew that I wanted to debate. Because where else was a high schooler going to find a space to talk about universal background checks or market rate housing? Where else was a teenage girl allowed to voice her thoughts for an uninterrupted 45 minutes and finally be heard? I thought debate was going to be the most empowering and intellectually stimulating experience. But I soon discovered debate could also be used to embarrass other people and make them feel inferior and insignificant. So you're really misconstruing our evidence That's here. really what you say, word for word. Okay, Anything with 10% support. Yeah, no, the it's, okay, it's 10% committed support. And it's specifically I remember watching two high schoolers debate Catalonian independence from Spain at Arizona State University last year. I was shocked by the level of disrespect I saw. The guy constantly interrupted the female debater, and it was very obvious she was frustrated. If you want to call for the card instead of just making fun of me in crossfire, please do I'm making do fun that. of you because you read a ridiculous argument. You can take a question. Uh, no, I'm actually going to address this first. Okay, do it. If you'll let me. So what the, card, what the card says is they designed... An he ended up winning the round. I don't know if the judges noticed his behavior, but they voted unanimously for his team. But it doesn't end there. Megan Muntz was one of my teammates on the debate team a year ago. Here she is giving a speech about gun control. The only reason the NRA has power is because they're able to mobilize voters to get out for senators that they lobby. Over the years, she has been objectified repeatedly by members of the debate community. When she was 16, she was at a local tournament when she ran into two accomplished male debaters. Later, she learned they had called her a temptress and joked about what it would be like to have sex with her, even though they had literally met for a few minutes. There were so many instances like that where people made disgusting comments about me, and it left me feeling like they don't care about me because I'm somewhat of a good debater. They only care about me for what I look like. And after a while, all the sexism and misogyny took a mental toll on her, and she often thought about quitting because it was kind of like at the age of 16, my body wasn't my own anymore. It belonged to the people who were looking at, looking at me and making those sorts of comments about me. Treatment by competitors is one issue. Judging is another. Unlike other activities where you can just count the number of baskets you make, you win debate rounds if your judge has a better perception of you than your opponents. So if judges think your voice sounds screechy or your dress doesn't fit their taste, they can mark you down, even if your arguments are stronger. According to one study, female debaters are twice as likely to be called out for aggression. And if this happens, they're much more likely to lose. 
This issue of being judged unfairly is true for female debaters and women in general. Jade Newton Small is the author of Broad Influence, How Women Are Changing the Way America Works. She says we're not a country used to seeing women in power, and that media coverage during the 2016 election was a clear example of that. You know, Bernie Sanders can yell at you for 40 minutes, and you're like, yeah, yell at me for 40 more. What about the Wall Street bailout, where some of your friends destroyed this economy? You know... Oh, excuse me, I'm talking. Let him sprung. Hillary raises her voice and yells at you, and you're like, oh my God, why is mom screaming at me? Very hopeful inclusive, big-hearted America that will set the stage for an even better future. Now we're in another election cycle, and more women than ever before are running for president. Senator Elizabeth Warren stood her ground at the recent Democratic debate. You know, I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. When I saw Warren debate, I was in awe of how assertive she was about her policies and beliefs. And I was happily surprised to find out that she was once a high school debater like me. And since she's had more media coverage, my coaches have started to tell me to channel my inner Elizabeth Warren. It's been really awesome seeing someone who was once in my position trying to be the leader of our country. Noon Small says high school debate is the perfect breeding ground for teenagers like me to learn how to speak up about important issues for the rest of our lives. I mean, feeling comfortable speaking publicly is the first step to running for office in many ways. And I think just in general, the first step to being a leader. If my friends and I don't feel comfortable speaking in a debate round because of discriminatory backlash, how can we feel comfortable speaking up when we're older and try to break barriers? But now, more people in debate are at least talking about this like at the National Speech and Debate Tournament in Dallas this year. A high schooler named Ellis Naki gave a speech on sexism in debate. Either conform to societal expectations of submission and lose credibility, or demonstrate intensity and be labeled too aggressive. This unwinnable bias is so deeply ingrained in our culture that we have often become blind to its consequences. I love speech and debate, and this activity thrives on calling out oppressions all over the world. But it's time to call out the ones in our own community. At the end of the speech, she talks about how important it is for people in debate to bring up double standards. As an analogy, she talks about a female drummer who keeps on drumming in spite of sexist expectations. So... The drum dream girl closed her eyes and kept on drumming. The room was silent. And then everyone stood up and started clapping, including me. She won first place. There are thousands of girls involved in speech and debate around the country. Despite the challenges we face, we won't stop speaking up and working hard. My friends and I will continue to research foreign affairs and social injustices. 
We'll put together our arguments and practice our speeches and wait for our next debate round to begin. That story was reported by Hannah Nee. She's a senior at Presentation High School in San Jose. While I haven't participated in debate, I have competed in mock trial for the past three years. And as a cisgender male student, I haven't ever been forced to think about how gender impacts the way I'm treated or listened to, in competition or otherwise. And as someone who lives at the intersection of multiple marginalized identities, being black and first generation to name a few, it can be easy to forget the ways in which my voice is inherently privileged. As a storyteller, I can't overemphasize the importance of voice and of speech. I'm too much of a cynic to say that the world would be a better place with more stories. But even at my most cynical, I can't deny that the world would be a more empathetic and informed one. There's not a lack of stories to tell or voices to listen to. Rather, we create an artificial void when we make it more difficult for certain voices to be heard. Thanks to students like Hannah and her friends, we are filling that void one speech at a time. This has been TBH, a podcast from KALW Public Radio. Thank you to all the teenagers who took part in producing this show. Our editors and instructors are Holly J. McDeed and Kristen McCandless. Kristen also engineered the show with help from Gabe Graben and James Rollins. Awan Mance made our artwork. Daoud Anthony made our music. Our content manager is Shireen Adel. Executive director is Ben Trefney. In the next episode, we'll take on the topic of social consciousness and the difference between activism and slacktivism. Being woke is a process. I think people use it as like an adjective to describe like you've reached enlightenment, like you understand systematic racism. Talk to you next time on TBH. Thanks for listening. I'm Samuel Gitacho.